Hey everybody, welcome to an episode of Works in Process Live. As I get ready for the 2021 AIGA Design and Business Conference in May, I chat with conference speakers and learn more about them and their creative approaches. So I hope you enjoy this mini bonus episode. Um, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Sorry for the delay. We were having some technical difficulties on our end, and we hope that now you're starting to see us. So it is 109 instead of the original 110. Um, thanks, everybody, once again. So welcome to a live version of my Works in Process podcast. I'm designer and educator George Garastegui, Jr. Um, these live shows will be part of a conference speaker series to get to know some of the people who will be presenting their work at this year's AIGA Design and Business Conference. And today I have Sophia Yeshi, illustrator and designer of Yeshi Designs. Welcome to Works and Process Live. Thanks, I'm excited to be here today. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited to have you. And I'm also excited to just do a live version, even though we had some technical difficulties, this is great. Yeah, we're here now, only like I said, fashionably late. So like thank it. you all. Anyone was uh, hanging in there with us? Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. So I, when I usually do my podcast, I do this little quick thing to get us all a little bit loose. So I do this rapid um, Q&A session. Are you ready for it? Sure. All right. So first I start off with some this or that questions. Um, coffee or tea? Coffee. Paper or digital? Digital. <laughs> Illustration or design? Illustration. Baltimore or Brooklyn? Baltimore. <laughs> I was seeing if it was a trip you up or not. I don't, I don't know. Um, and then just a, a little bit of a word association, right? So the first thing you hear when you hear these, first thing you think of when you hear these words. Um, determination. Mm, self. Failure. Um, motivation. Community. Love. Education. Um, necessary. <laughs> <laughs> um, history. History. Important to learn from and, you know, learn from the mistakes that have been made. Accessibility. Vital for our future. And then next was future. Oh, great. <laughs> future. Um, I think... Ooh, future. Uh, I think it's it's in our hands. Like it's yeah, it's up to us. Nice, <laughs> nice. And then of course, last but not least, process. Process. Um, we all gotta have one. <laughs> Definitely, I, do, I I totally agree with that. And you know, I do this little thing because it kind of gives you no time to react. You just have to answer. And I know sometimes you're like thrown off, like all these different words and, and questions. Um, but now I'm going to get, you know, a little bit more into who you are and your introduction to art and design. So as I read, and we kind of did a quick little thing, you know, you're originally from Baltimore, but now in Brooklyn. Um, but when do you remember the earliest time getting into art and design? Yeah, I think I was always interested in art, especially I would always want to go to like modern art museums. I thought like classical art was kind of boring as a kid, but I love going to modern art museums and looking at abstract paintings. And, um, and so I knew I was interested in art, but I wasn't really sure what that meant and what that would look like. And when I was 12 years old, I discovered um, a 30 day trial of Photoshop. And I, I just knew like, all right, I'm just going to keep creating email addresses so I can keep using Photoshop. Like I had to find a way. 
Um, and I knew I wanted to be a graphic designer at that point. And I, I have 12? a funny story. Yeah. I, you know what? I was never interested in sports. Like I never had like a thing. And then when I discovered Photoshop, I was like, oh, this is it. And I, I begged my mom to buy me Photoshop because, you know, at the time I was like, I don't know, $700 and you had to go buy it on a CD. So I, I begged her to buy me Photoshop. And she came home with like a, a CD, a huge CD of like clip art. It was a clip art library. And I was like, not the same. No, I don't even think I used it. That <laughs> was so devastated. Um, but, you know, I knew from then on that that was something that I really connected with and the ability to create, to take digital assets. And a lot of times it was even people scanning in like fashion magazines. So it was like cutting out these images and making collages and using like these terrible Photoshop brushes now. Um, but it was really fun. It was something I could share on the internet and get feedback. And I had a little portfolio at 12. Oh my God. Um, and then that's, that's amazing. At 12, knowing that you wanted to have Photoshop on, on a CD, you know, or multiple CDs, probably not even one. Right. Um, I think it was like probably two or three. <laughs> yeah. And then knowing that you want to be a graphic designer. I, I, I mean, kudos to you. So, and, and so on top of that, what, um, what do you think had a bigger impact on your creative aesthetic school or community? Mm, that's a good question. I actually think for me, it was really school. Um, because the, all of the schools that I went to, so, you know, I was 12, decided I wanted to be a graphic designer. And at that time I was at a middle school where we could pick like different programs. And so mine was art. And so we would spend a lot of our day in art classes and I didn't really think I was that great of a drawer or anything like that, but it was really great to have this time to dedicate to, you know, making art. And then in high school, I went to a magnet school where we also had these like specialized programs. And so I learned Photoshop, Illustrator and InDesign in high school. And we had a printing press in our high school. So nice. we had like, we could do like lamination and like we had a paper cutter. So I was making business cards and we made notepads and it was really fun and like hands-on. And I remember flying through all of my Adobe classes and my teacher was like, you finished the InDesign class like before anyone else, because it was so exciting to me to like learn these programs. Right. Um, and then even in college, I, I would talk about like, I went to like a community college and I really wanted to go to an art school, but I think it's all about what you make of it, right? Like I think community is really important and that was integral for me. But as far as like where I got the most out of and was most encouraged, I think it was probably the community that I found while I was at school. Okay. Okay. And it, it looks like obviously you had a, a connection to art and creativity for a long time. You realized, you know, at, a, at an early age that this is something you're into. And I think I had the same um, revelation that, mm -hmm. you know, maybe something you're you're into could be something that can become a career rather than becoming like a side business or becoming something you just do right where like if you have enough passion and you think you're good enough and you, and you have enough support you eventually are going to make something of yourself in that and i and i kind of hear a, a lot of that in what you're talking about and this ability to always go back to trusting yourself and making sure mm -hmm. that you put your own ideas and your own purposes in front and you know, it, that's really inspiring, especially to do it at such a young age and kind of continue to follow through because sometimes, you know, with that, we, we tend to lose off. We, we college changes us or, you know, we look yeah. for something more viable. Right. So with all of those things kind of, you know, um, nipping at your heels, what was the first time you considered yourself a creative? 
I feel like I've always considered myself a creative. I think maybe the term creative, um, like when I first, you know, when I was 12, I was like, okay, I want to be a graphic designer. And I only looked at it as graphic design. And so when I got to college and I was studying design, um, I ended up taking a painting class at an art school. So we had a program where we could take classes at this art school that was across the street for the same price of our classes. And this school was like very expensive. <laughs> so I remember I took a painting class and I just tried to learn as much as possible. And somewhere um, in college, I decided that I was really interested in illustration as well. And, you know, we didn't have classes or anything like that, but I, I thought it was a really interesting medium where you were able to express yourself visually in a way that, you know, was a bit different than graphic design. So I started to kind of consider myself a bit of an illustrator and dabbling in it. Um, once I graduated college, I ended up working full time at a real estate investment company where I was not only expected to be the graphic designer, I led social media, I was the videographer, the photographer, and mar the marketing department all in one. And so I think that was the first time I kind of looked at myself as a creative because I realized that the skills that I had learned in graphic design were transferable to other careers. And no, I wasn't great at, you know, photography or whatever the first time I picked up the camera. But I, I've kind of figured it out. And same thing with like learning Premiere and all these programs, you know, I'm not a master, but because I had spent so long in Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign, I realized that a lot of this is really transferable. And if you understand basic principles of design, then you can understand like the rule of thirds and photography and like things like that, you know? So I honestly think there's no point of like limiting yourself to only one um, medium because as a creative, <laughs> you can kind of do everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, th I think that's, it's so important to understand to not l limit yourself and, and not to, you know, say that I'm a graphic designer. So all I do is work on these programs, right? Because like you yeah. just mentioned, the transferable ideas and concepts are in photography, you know, or even photography has influenced graphic design. So there's kind of, mm -hmm. you know, one is, is talking to the other the same way, you know, when we use software, right? Like they talk to each other to do different things. And as long as you understand the overarching like idea, they all start to make yeah. sense. You know, and I, and I think that's what I'm listening to. It's, it's it's putting yourself out there and realizing that the underlying script is the fact that they're all connected, right? You're not doing things so disparately apart that like yeah. you're not learning how to weave, which is maybe a different skill set, you know, compared to this. It's all design and it's kind of a software based a little bit, you know, and you're and I understanding that like for me, I was an artist first and transferred into the idea of graphic design. You come from it like I'm almost like a designer first and then say, yeah. well, this art stuff is kind of interesting, too. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I like how it's just kind of there is no one way. And, and, you know, so you were working at this, at this, um, this agency and being everything, <laughs> right? What, when did Fresh you, out of college. <laughs> right. What, and, and, you know, that's like, that's like the perfect Craigslist post, right? We need you to do this, this Dreamweaver, this, that, the other thing, <laughs> you know, make phone calls, look professional, make coffee, learn how to do a logo. Like <laughs> what? I, I just literally graduated and you're asking me to be the head of design, right? Um, <laughs> And they're gonna pay you crap, right? And so, like, how long did you work in in industry before you started to maybe branch out and do your own freelance or your own studio? Yeah, so it was actually only probably about two years or like two and a half years. Um, I'm not that old, <laughs> so um, once I graduated, I first had an internship. And I, you know, became full time at this company. I worked there for about a year. 
And then I got another job that was still pretty corporate, worked there for a year. And at the back of my mind, I always knew I would move to New York at some point, but I was really just waiting for the right time, you know, when it kind of made sense. So I started planning to move to New York like a a year in advance. And I applied to everything that I could find. I reached out to every friend that I knew that lived in New York, just literally anyone. And I'm like, I need a job. You know, I'm looking for these opportunities. And my portfolio, it didn't have any of my corporate work. It was all illustration. It was all the work that I really wanted to get hired for. So it was all bright and colorful, like, you know, similar to the work I make now. And um, I literally got one job interview (laughs) during this entire process. And maybe it would have been different if I had put my corporate stuff up, but I knew that's not what I wanted to make. And I knew that wasn't like what I wanted to put forward. So when I, once I moved to New York, I had some freelance clients, you know, it wasn't anything like super crazy, but I had work. So I decided that I was going to invest this energy and time into myself and that I, you know, would just try to make it work as, as a freelancer. And you know, I, I did it and luckily it worked out and it has worked out. And now it's been over a year of me, um, working for myself and it's probably the best thing that I ever did. And there's no way I'm going back to a nine to five anytime soon. I mean, (laughs) anytime soon. (laughs) I know it's a different beast. It's a whole different animal nine to five versus, um, you know, being, being in control of your own timeline and everything Mm -hmm. like that. And I mean, you know, it took you, didn't take you that long to realize that kind of freelance or owning your own studio is what you wanted to do. Um, it's a difficult move. What, what, what were yeah. some of the factors you thought about, you know, obviously moving to New York was a, was a big deal. You know, obviously I think sticking to your guns and, and showing your illustration work, which is what you wanted to focus on rather than maybe the, the totality or the whole body of work, right. To be like, yeah. well, I can do all of this because what I'm listening is if you show all of that, then you'll go back to this same idea of, cool, she's a jack of all trades and we'll hire her to do a bunch of different things. And yeah. you're making decisions to say, no, 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 I need to be or looked at as an illustrator who maybe designs yeah. versus I do it all. Like, yeah. what, what, what made you, I mean, come to that conclusion? So I think I'm grateful for the opportunity to try so many different things because it led me to realize what it was that I did want to focus on um, by, you know, doing a little video and marketing and social media. I was like, okay, you know, this is cool, but actually I really love being able to tell my own story or speaking directly to communities that I care about. And so I thought it was important to be able to create the work that I wanted to. And it's honestly like as simple as that. It was just like, I know that this is what I like and I want to do more of this. I want to speak directly to black women, women of color in the LGBTQ community. And how can I do that? Like, how can I reach those communities? And I just felt like a lot of the corporate work that I was doing, like it was fine. There was nothing wrong with it, but it just didn't feel authentic to me and my voice. Cause you're ultimately, you're just carrying out someone else's vision. And it would have been really easy. Well, not easy because obviously it's hard in the beginning, but it would have, you know, eventually been easy to kind of fall in line and like, whatever, tell, allow myself to work for someone else and to carry out their vision. But that's just not me. Like I'm just a very opinionated person and I, and I want to just, you know, be able to create the work that I want to create. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would say it was easier. It was easy for me. Like, of course it was always that there's always that little voice in the back of your head. 
it's like, well, what if no one likes your work? And I think that held me back for a long time of like really putting myself out there because I was worried that maybe it wasn't, my work wasn't good, right? And I was going to put all this energy into this only thing that I've ever tried to be good at. And what if it sucks? Mm-hmm. But then I was like, you know what? Just do it. And then if you fail, you fail and you can figure out something else. <clears throat> I spent all of this time learning. So I have to at least know something, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, yeah, yeah, I think that was kind of the conclusion that I came to. And so now I've kind of like, when people are asking me like, what advice do you give people? And my first advice is like, say yes to everything, which is what my design professor told me in college. I interviewed him and was like, what do you, what do you, what, you know, what would you tell your students? And he was like, try everything. But then at this point in my career, I'm like, say no as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Because by saying no, I can really focus on what I want to focus on. And now I have so much, no, I mean, not to like, be you know like brag or anything but I have a lot of work coming in so if I say yes to everything I'm going to be completely overwhelmed and bogged down and I'm not going to have time to really focus on what I want to so I say no a lot so that way you know when something good comes in I'm like oh I'm glad I said no to all these other things that would have sucked up my time or wouldn't have paid enough because this really great opportunity is here now right right. a lot of confidence in that a lot of confidence in the idea of of being able to stick with it to, to make mm-hmm. these choices and, and I guess bet on yourself, right? Like really say, if I'm yeah. going to do this, I might as well go all in first. And you've had the, the, the luxury, the ability to learn all these different things. And I guess, like you've mentioned, fail also to understand mm-hmm. that these are some of the avenues that I don't want to be in anymore, right? I think that's a really, that's a really enlightening idea to the, the fact that you're starting to make you're using your choices and regardless of if it's successful or not, you're actually making decisions to move you forward, right? Because if you learn yeah. that you don't want to be this way, then good. I know that's not where I should be, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not that, oh crap, I, I wasted all my time here. No, you actually knew that this is no longer the place that I want to focus on. And I think that's a really interesting thing because, you know, saying yes to everything, right? Which I was going to eventually be like, yeah, that's going to get, that's going to bite you in the ass a little bit. But you realize to the point like, okay, you can't. And thank, thank goodness you have the, the opportunity to now say no, because I think that's a very right. powerful thing. And I, I think also like being able to say no at a certain point is a privilege, right? So like early on when you're first starting out, maybe you can't say no to certain things. Maybe you do have to take on that job that doesn't pay that well or that client that's like a little, you know, asking for too many revisions because you just have to make it work. But as you gain experience and you figure out what it is that you like and you don't like, and I think that's why it's an important part, like sometimes taking on some things that aren't fun to do because you'll, you will learn what you love. So I don't know. It's like, it's like say yes, but then say no. <laughs> it's um, tricky, right? You know, yeah. Um, so with all of this stuff, right, I think one of the things you, to hark back on something you said, you know, you, you get to now work on the stuff that you want to you know? Um, and so being your own, you know, your own business, being a solo creative allows you to make these choices. What are some of the things besides what we're going to be talking about at the AIGA design conference, right? With debut capital, what are some of the other projects that you were able to kind of just take on because they kind of fit what you're trying to do? What are projects that I've been able yeah, to Yeah, like, you know, what, 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 like, what topics, what, what projects that kind of align with that, right? Because now your ability to say no has allowed and open up to things that you really want to work on. 
So what what yeah. is it like like what's one other big thing that you were just psyched to work on that be able to you know showcase your skills? Yeah. I think now I'm at a point where any project or client that I work on, I feel like has to align in some way. And now like no company is perfect, you know, but at least they have to have the right goals. They want to reach the right audience and they have to be intentional. Um, I really enjoyed the project that I was able to work on with UPS for Black History Month. Um, Initially, when they approached me, it was through an agency and they were like, yeah, we want this artist to work on um, to create um, artwork to go on this UPS Express box. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, that's, that's like a fun project. And we worked on it for a couple of months and then they were like, we're going to do a BTS video, but then it was actually a commercial, (laughs) um, which initially I didn't realize. And I think like throughout this process, I didn't realize how big that project was like in my head, like, and obviously I was paid like fine, but in my head, it just wasn't that big of a deal. Right. Like it was cool. And you know how something comes out and it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, you did something nice. But it was on the news. I was like interviewed for the news in New York. Um, there was even like more um, news stations like emailing me, and I was like, no, it's too much. There was press, like it was on CNN business, and like it was a big deal. And so I, it was an, just an exciting project because the whole purpose of it was to support small Black-owned businesses. And they had a grant that they ended up um, giving out to different um, Black-owned businesses. And anyone could order these boxes and they could ship, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever express items they wanted to. And it was just such a cool project that, like, my art was going all over the world in this express box. And I was the first artist they ever worked with to put artwork on a box ever. So it was like a historical moment. Yeah, I I didn't even know that that was, like, the first... I was just like, okay, my art's on UPS Express box. (laughs) But it was, it was amazing. And so I think, you know, it kind of checks like multiple boxes, like being able to create work that like represented, you know, black owned businesses and it just felt right. So I think projects like that, where I think like everything kind of aligns and I know that they're actually doing it for good reasons and it's very intentional. Like those are things that I I really appreciate. And so Mm -hmm. I think all of my projects, you know, I'm, I'm proud of. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have taken it on or I wouldn't put it on my, my website. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, right? You, you don't want to put something that you're not proud of. And so you're right. talking about projects with um, UPS and you're talking about projects that you'll talk about during the conference with Debut Capital, right? And so these are these are larger projects working with, with um, large companies, right? You're a solo person. Right. And design and illustration is so much about feedback and iteration and, and things like that. Right. How do you go about doing that when you're the only person in the room on the design side? Right. Usually if you're in an agency, maybe there's a, you have a team, you have a CD to bounce ideas off of or an art director to bounce ideas off of. Right. Who do you do that when it's just you? Yeah, that's a great question. So this is something that um, I struggle with sometimes because, you know, design is such an insular profession sometimes, especially working for yourself. Like I don't have a team that I can go to, but um, now I would say I've learned to trust my voice a lot more. And then there are times when I do need some feedback, like maybe I'm struggling a little bit and I've hit a roadblock. Um, A lot of times I will hit up other designers that I'm in community with that I think maybe have a similar aesthetic or I know I trust their aesthetic. Um, I think a lot of designers will use like Facebook groups. Like there are some groups that I'm a part of where, um, you know, designers can join and they'll post their work and get feedback. 
I typically don't do that. Um, and I, it's because I think that there can be so many different styles and skill sets and ranges and, you know, ways that people see things that I don't necessarily want to open myself up to that. And there's nothing wrong with criticism, but I also feel like, you know, I trust the people that I know that I'm in community with a little bit mm-hmm. more. So I would say it's really important to find a community that you can trust, like whether it's, you know, some designer group or a Slack group or, you know, just people, you know, um, but also remember that like, not only designers are going to see this right when it's finished. So maybe it's not a designer. Maybe it's like the average person. Maybe it's a family member, a friend that doesn't really have any context because they still have to be able to understand the purpose of the design as well. And like the average person should be able to see it and get it and understand what this brand is about. And so that's specifically relating to branding. Um, Illustration, I don't really tend to ask for feedback because it's kind of like, it's my voice, it's my vision anyway. And the client's going to give me feedback and I'm sure there's tons of people looking at it. But I think with branding, it's going to last a long time, right? So it's like, you want to make sure that it makes sense to multiple different people. So I would say like, just get as much feedback as you can. Right. So how do you, how do you find that? Right. So like, you know, (laughs) yeah, I mean, how, you know, thinking about it, right. Sometimes, you know, industry has its own built-in feedback loop, you know, where, where you can do that. It's, it's built with hierarchy and stuff like that. How do you go about, you know, finding that? How do you find the people who have one, maybe the same aesthetic as you, or even understand the content that you're creating, right? Even if they're not, you know, designers, like you mentioned, which I think is actually a really great point that you don't have to talk to only designers, right? But they may understand the subject matter that you're trying to deal with and see if it resonates. You know, that's a lot of extra work, right? And I mean, you know, it's putting in the work, you know, as as a designer, as a freelancer to kind of start finding those little connections? Is it, is it something that just happens because of where you live and you live next to a designer? Is it, you know, like you said, some of these Facebook, uh, Facebook groups that you, you know, have kind of grown accustomed to, or, you know, are you networking? And, you know, obviously before COVID <laughs> being able to like meet and greet and kind of connect with people, like what, what are some of the ways that you've been able to kind of find some of those people? Yeah. I would say networking for sure. Um, I'm definitely, I love meeting people and making new friends, or at least, you know, just seeing what we have in common. And so I tend to seek out, you know, like-minded people, whether it's creatives, illustrators, designers, photographers, whoever, and just try to get to know them. Um, Just because I think like, it's great to be able to have those people in your network, you know, that you're able to connect with. So a lot of times when I meet someone, you know, usually it's on Instagram, I would say, like, I'll follow a lot of creatives, and maybe they'll follow me back, and we'll start kind of chatting. And then, you know, maybe if I'm in their city, I'll hit them up and be like, hey, can we grab coffee? You know, be loved, I would love to meet you. Um, I have a friend in England who I've never met, but we've Skyped, uh, I'm sorry, people don't use Skype anymore. We've Zoomed <laughs> um, a few times. And she's one person I actually was able to get feedback from um, on a project a couple months ago. And it was really helpful actually to the project and kind of helped me think about seeing it, you know, in a different way. So I guess I would just say, you have to be unafraid of like putting yourself out there. Sometimes people are going to reject you, but go for people that do seem like similar to you, right? Because like, if you're gonna message 
somebody huge with a million followers, like they're probably not going to respond. Right. But if you are trying to connect with someone who's kind of in a similar place as you, it's a lot easier for you to network and connect with them that way. Um, or if you do want to try to connect with someone who's maybe a little bit higher than you, just try to make sure you're bringing something of value to the conversation as well. And you're not just coming and expecting them to share information with you. You know, a lot of times people will be like, oh, can I pick your brain or whatever? And like, <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of people don't like that or have time for that, but just make sure it's like a valuable exchange of information as well. Yeah, I think the exchange is really important, right? To make sure that each person is getting value, even though sometimes you, you, you're looking to gain something, right? And, you know, I, it's interesting. I think IG, Instagram is, is a great place because, you know, you can kind of see, you know, what, what their work is too, right? So you can see yeah. if, if both of you have somewhat of a similar aesthetic and off the bat kind of automatically break down some walls because you're both talking about the same things or your subject matter is the same things or the way what they promote or their energy is the same right so it's kind of that open book of allowing people to kind of be like oh this is what i'm about really quickly to help yeah. break down that wall i guess first you know now, i, I uh, honestly think that um just building off of that i think that i try not to have like a competitive mentality it's it can be hard because you know you oftentimes will only see like as far as like women of color people of color maybe a good couple of people right that are like getting all the work consistently but i got to the point where instead of looking at it as competing or like oh this person got this job or whatever that it's like it's i would much rather have more you know people of color or just whatever more people right in general getting all the work and getting hired and getting recognition because I think it's better for all of us. So I feel like by me networking and trying to make friends and like, it's just supporting this community as well and trying to make sure like we're all getting visibility. Mm -hmm. I, think that's I think that's a great point. Better. That's a great point to not, I guess, focus on the idea that there's a competition in, in yeah. getting work because it's probably, well, it's definitely more important to get more people getting all of the work than one person getting all of it. Um, mm -hmm. And so that the idea that to reframe your, your mind to maybe not be so focused on, you know, how does their aesthetic look? How do I make mine better compared to theirs? You know, because that's just like that inner voice in us. But, yeah. I, but I like that you mentioned that it's not really about that. And there's a larger thing at stake that we all should be, you know, um, being vetted and being asked to do doing this kind of work and, and, and putting it out there so that, you know, there are no more times when they're like doing work for, you know, BIPOC people and they, they're doing it, but there's no BIPOC designer who's actually creating that work. Like that to right. me is baffling because there's so many, you know, designers who fit that mold. And instead of, you know, going out to the community, they're, they're kind of just, you know, staying the same um, course. Um, so as we're getting close, I do have a question just popped up, you know, from um, Sue Ellen, um, who is watching us somewhere live. I don't know exactly where, but, um, you know, they ask, how do you charge clients so that you can say no and be selective and still pay the bills? So <clears throat> last year, I actually got an agent. Um, she reached out to me and she rep represents some really talented illustrators and photographers. And so I was super excited because I had been looking for representation. Um, <clears throat> so that was one thing, like getting an agent really helped me because I realized that a lot of the times the value that you're going to assign to yourself is going to be a lot lower 
and what it really should be. And then the client is never going to really give you what you're worth. You have to ask for it nine times out of 10. And then it's like, well, what is, what are you worth? Right. What is this work worth? And it's like, what are you basing it off of? Is it the hourly rate? Do you have a day rate? Is it the project? And there are like so many different variables and questions. And so I have been undercharging and undervaluing myself for years, but I think I knew that, but it still didn't stop me from doing it because I was just like, no, it's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what it's worth, whatever. <laughs> and so getting an agent, I think really helped me to see what was possible um, and that it has allowed me to be a lot more selective because now I can take on a couple of projects for a couple of months and be fine. Mm. So I would say for someone who doesn't have an agent, I think that really get out of your own head. Um, but also look at a couple of factors, like look at your experience, look at how in demand you are, look, maybe look at where you're living and like what the going rate is, you know, don't be afraid of trying to ask other people how much they charge, but ultimately it's really up to you and what, you know, your worth is. You have to have people that are going to pay it, but you know what I'm saying? Like we're all going to undercharge at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, that's we'll, true. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think it's all of like building blocks and like, you know, working up to that point. Um, and I think also being in New York has helped as well. Like whatever reason, me moving four hours from Baltimore to New York suddenly, you know, means something different. Mm -hmm. And now I'm a New York based artist. And so, you know, there are so many different factors. Like it's, it's hard to really answer, you know, how do you charge clients? But for the project itself, it's about, you know, the usage and like, what are the terms and all of those things? There's like so many different variables. Yeah. And I, and I hear that, like, you're also adding a buffer, right? You're adding an agent, which allows them to kind of handle some of the bigger things while you can just focus yeah. on the work. Right. And, and sometimes yep. as a freelancer, you're doing all of it, right? You are the agent. You're, you're, you're self-promoting mm -hmm. yourself. You're the one doing, you know, the, the, your website, you're the one making sure you promote and give yourself value. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I think like the question is asking, you know, there's a moment where you have to think about, can I give them a price? So maybe they don't want to work with me, but at the same time, do I need to pay my rent? <laughs> and, you exactly. know, do, do I, do I need to give, give myself the ability to make enough, but still know that it's not exactly, I think those are some of the struggles that I can see, you know, anybody who's a freelancer or anybody who just does side work, right? Even if you have a nine to five mm -hmm. and you're coming home to do your side work, you're still probably asking them the question of how do you, you know, create value or value yourself because, you know, one of the biggest things to me, right, is the value is what somebody's going to pay. Exactly. And, and you can put yourself as much out there. And if one person decides that that's what you're worth, boom, you that's just increase it. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's really all about perceived value, right? And so I think one way to do this is to like um, strategically make yourself be a voice or be something that not everyone can offer. So if you're just, if you're a graphic designer and you're you're a fine graphic designer, but you don't have a specific viewpoint, right? Or you're an illustrator, but your work doesn't really say anything specific because you're just following whatever like the client wants, that's fine. But I think now people are getting to the point where they want to hire designers and creatives for what they have to say. So just trust in what you have to say and try to put that out there. And I think that's been the best thing for me. Like even early on, 
moving to New York, instead of tailoring my portfolio to what I thought employers wanted to see, I just had what I wanted. And I think that's really paid off. And so I think that would be the biggest piece of advice is just like to try to be as specific as possible in what it is that you really want to do and what is it you, you have to say that's unique to you. Right. I mean, I think that's that's it. I think when you have that and you're able to trust yourself and and learn to live what whatever happens though with that, right? I think you have yeah. to own that because you could be shooting yourself in the foot or you could be just putting yourself on a whole nother stratosphere and being like, cool, this is going to take off. But you have to be ready yeah. to put yourself in that position and not know where it's going to go. And also be ready if it does take off because there's a whole set of expectations then if you are successful and if you didn't prepare yourself for that you're gonna taxes (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like trying to set yourself up so that you succeed not you know because you may fail but i feel like going into it as if you're going to succeed is like the best possible way of looking at it and i you know had like i had my print shop set up like this is before i knew of anybody would buy a print. And I spent months trying to source like the right printer and like getting the supplies and I redid my website. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I was just at a, at a really good place. Now all happened right at the beginning of quarantine. Um, so I just feel like I kind of set myself up throughout the past like couple of years to be in this place where I was like ready and I had enough knowledge and I've read books about freelancing and, you know, I've had the, what is it? The, ethical guide to the graphic designers guild guide to pricing yeah yeah definitely that's a good that's a good resource anytime i had a question about oh my god how much i charge i would go in the graphic designers guild i would use their contract templates and you know those are things that really helped me to start figuring out all right let me calculate my hourly rate and it's so much it's such a it's a huge book but it's it's so helpful. It's so, and honestly, look, we, I think Sophia, we can talk about like freelancing and breaking things down, you know, forever, because I think that's just a, it's just a nuanced conversation and depending on, on what your individual situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have one last question. Well, you know, I don't, okay. I don't want to, you know, we can go on this forever. And then, you know, I know we started a little late, um, but you know, all of those things you're, you're, you're giving us gold, especially with what it takes to to build community, what it's what it takes to start to think about how to put yourself in the best position, how to kind of trust yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But let me ask you this. What what part of the creative process do you still struggle with? That is a great question. So <laughs> I think the part that I struggle with is definitely time management. And I just, I spoke at a conference for like high school girls last week and they were like, how do you manage your time? And I was just like, I don't have a magical answer for you because I still struggle with it, you know? And when you're working for yourself, there's no boss that's like, hey, I need this by the end of the day. Like maybe there's a client, but you know, clients are gonna come and go, right? So it's really about figuring out the right schedule for you. And it really does go back to saying no for me. I find that, you know, the more I say no and the more I'm able to take things off of my plate and eventually that will mean delegating, you know, when I'm able to hire other people and kind of get a little bit more help, maybe it's a virtual assistant, whatever it is, but um, it's really about trying to find, you know, the way to manage my time best. And so Mm -hmm. I think having that agent helped a lot as far as the administrative tasks, but um, 
you know, on a day to day, just like, all right, I have this many clients. I need to do this by this time. Like that's something I definitely still struggle with. So mm-hmm. I'm like trying all the methods. I'm trying the Pomodoro method. You know, I have like 8 million planners. <laughs> I have too many. Um, I'm still trying to figure it out. Right. I'm like, I have one with my name on it, you know? <laughs> so I'm still trying to figure out the right, the right system. It's because I'm such a creative, like my process is very like scatterbrained and all over the place. So it's sometimes hard for me to like buckle down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Well, I mean, we we're I think for us being creative and, and having that moment of 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 you know sitting down and figuring stuff out is is always gonna be a challenge. But I think for me anyway, I think that's a great, you know, ending because it just means that your brain is kind of firing all the time. Your brain is always trying to figure things out and 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 work with the stuff that you're trying to do and actually work on projects and continue to 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 put out your visual voice, but also work on things that that you know um, makes sense to you personally, which I think, you know, is an impactful way to be a, you know, a freelance creative and the ability to just say no all the time, I think is empowering. And, you know, that's one of the things I've been, been hearing a lot today is to be able to, to make design decisions based on some of the stuff that you've learned and picked up along the way. So thank you so much, Sophia. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, I can't wait to, um, hear your your talk with debut capital during the aiga design and business conference um take a look at firsthand of how design and business is impacting each other in measurable ways during the conference you'll hear both from the client side and the design side to understand what drove successful collaboration and communication we want to hear really about the how and the why behind the what right so um once again Thank you, Sophia. Look forward to learning about the collaboration. And if anybody wants to um, buy tickets for the conference, we have a conference code, um, AIGA Friends 20 for $20 off the conference. That's AIGA Friends 20 for $20 off the conference. And also join me next Tuesday as I um, chat with Katwo and Nico of Design Agency Resonate, who also be part of the conference. So thank you so much. Thank you for being here live. Technical difficulties in all, no biggie. Um, this has been Works in Process.